My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm the president of the Canadian Club of Toronto and your host today. We are proud of our 118-year history as the leading public affairs podium in the country. And we're proud of our commitment to providing a diverse set of guest speakers who address issues in a way that our ever-quickening pace of life rarely allows. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we are dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to Toronto, to the province, and to our country. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation today. And to kick us off, we're going to ask Minister Oliver to draw a business card. And the lucky winner will receive a gift card, courtesy of Target. Lynn Chow, our Executive Director of the Canadian Club, will announce our winner. Lynn. And our winner is Arthur Fish from borden Liner gervais Congratulations, Arthur. Now, please allow me to introduce your head table. Head table guests, please stand as I recognize you and remain standing until everyone's been introduced. And ladies and gentlemen, please hold your applause till everyone's been welcomed. Tom Dick, Executive Vice President, Community Banking, TD Bank Group. Fred Mifflin, Vice Chairman, Blair Franklin Capital Partners, and a Vice President of the Canadian Club of Toronto. Janet Eckert, President and CEO, Toronto Financial Services Alliance. Terry Campbell, President, Canadian Bankers Association. Miriam Kramer, Manager, Government Relations, OCAD University, and a 2014-15 Civic Action Diversity Fellow. Dania Saf, Co-Chair, Competition and Foreign Investment Group, Tories LLP, and the President-Elect of the Canadian Club of Toronto. Sean Weir, National Managing Partner and CEO, Bordner Ladner Gervais, LLP, and our guest speaker today, Canada's Minister of Finance, the Honorable Joel Oliver. Ladies and gentlemen, your head table. I'd like to express a special thanks to our event sponsors, TD Bank Group, represented by Tom Dick, and BLG, represented by Sean Weir. Tom, Sean, thank you both for being with us today and for your support. And I'd also like to welcome a group of youth and young leaders from the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management, sponsored by Blair Franklin Capital Partners. Students, welcome. Before I introduce our honored guest, I want to let our live audience know that you can join our conversation via Twitter today and Instagram at CDNCLUB or by simply using that hashtag. Just seven months ago, the Honorable Joe Oliver stepped into the role of Canada's finance minister. He joined us then to outline the Economic Action Plan 2014 Act. In returning today, we are pleased that he has chosen our podium, Canada's podium of record, to deliver his government's fall economic and fiscal update. 
These updates provide crucial data and direction about our economy, the state of our finances, the federal budget, and market conditions. Each fall, Canadians, particularly business leaders, financial planners, analysts, and the media count on this report when considering the year ahead. So, Minister Oliver, we hope you have brought tidings of good joy with you today. In the federal government's ongoing effort of producing balanced budgets, they have a chief financial officer who knows how to deliver. Indeed, Minister Oliver had a long and distinguished career in investment banking prior to entering politics in 2011, beginning at Merrill Lynch. He also held senior roles at other investment dealers. He worked at the Ontario Securities Commission as its executive director and later served as president and chief executive officer of the Investment Dealers Association of Canada. A Harvard MBA graduate, he also served in advisory and consultative capacities with the International Council of Securities Associations and the International Association of Security Commissions. Let us wait no longer. Minister Oliver, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium is now yours. Thank you uh, very much and uh, good afternoon, everyone. I really appreciate the opportunity to return to the Canadian Club to deliver Canada's economic and fiscal update. Mon objectif est de m'adresser aux Canadiens et Canadiennes au sujet de la situation économique passée, actuelle et future du pays. My objective is to talk to Canadians about the state of our economy, where we were, where we are now, and where we are headed. You did not have to work as an investment banker to remember the fall of Lehman Brothers. That bankruptcy and the subsequent financial collapse erased $10 trillion in global market value, destroying families' savings right around the world, a downturn that cost 62 million jobs globally. For Canada, the recession is long gone, but its ghost still lingers in the world economy. After the worst global recession since the Great Depression, came the worst global recovery. We see signs of the challenge everywhere. European debt is too high and inflation very low. Its economy is sputtering, stop and go, for three years now. In the last quarter, it flattened, which is a concern because we're talking about the world's largest economy, $17 trillion in GDP. The continent's three largest economies, Germany, France, and Italy, either stalled or contracted in the second quarter. Beyond Europe, the growth rates of key emerging economies, China, India, and Brazil, are losing steam. Geopolitical conflicts in Ukraine, Iraq, Syria have complicated the economic recovery and pose uncertain risks. And we have a humanitarian tragedy the Ebola outbreak in West Africa that threatens to spread elsewhere. 
Fortunately, after a weak start this year, the outlook for our American neighbors is for a sustainable recovery. Still, the International Monetary Fund warns that economic risks have increased, and since July 2008, it has downgraded growth projections for this year eight times. Its managing director, Christine Lagarde, talks of a new mediocre. Friends, this is our world in 2014. We've been saying it for years, and it remains valid. The global economy is fragile. Growth cannot be taken for granted. In many countries, it demands excruciating decisions and from everyone, hard work. Canada did that hard work. While the global recovery has been challenging, Canada has done a lot better than most. A downturn that did not start here, hit us later than others, and affected us less deeply. Moreover, we emerged from it more quickly and in better shape than other developed economies. We've accomplished so much as Canadians together. We've recovered all the jobs lost during the recession. But far more than that, we created over 1.2 million net new jobs since the depths of the downturn. These are overwhelmingly full-time, high-paying, private sector jobs. More Canadians are working today than at any other time in our history. Indeed, the Canadian economy added over 117,000 jobs in the past two months, the majority of which were full-time. Canada is now enjoying, enjoying the lowest unemployment rate in six years. Canadians have maintained a high level of labor market participation despite global economic difficulties, in sharp contrast with our American neighbors, whose labor market participation rates have dropped. A contributing factor is we have one of the highest female labor participation rates in the G20. And Canadians are wealthier for their work. A recent New York Times analysis found that after-tax middle-class incomes in Canada, substantially behind in 2000, now appear to be higher than in the United States. In fact, the Canadian middle class is among the richest in the developing world. Since taking office in 2006, we have been carefully crafting a more confident Canada, confident in its prosperity, confident in its future, fulfilling the words of our national anthem, a true north, strong and free. Not since John Diefenbaker was prime minister over a half century ago has the overall federal tax burden been this low. Canada's free trade network now touches every corner of the globe, and I cannot overstate the importance of this to the Canadian economy. When our government took office, Canada had free trade agreements with five countries. That was not good enough for a country where over 60% of our GDP and one in five jobs are tied to trade. We now have free trade deals with 43 countries. The National Post called Canada a free trade empire that now covers the two largest markets in the world, Europe and the United States. Recent strengthening in Canadian export performance is a positive sign 
that our approach is working. It also should encourage business to start investing available capital in expansion, which would bolster employment and economic growth. Our government is expanding opportunity abroad, but even more importantly, building it here at home. According to KPMG, total business tax costs in Canada are now the lowest in the G7, 46% lower than in the United States. Bloomberg ranks us as the second most attractive place in the world to do business. Both the IMF and the OECD are expecting Canada to be among the strongest growing economies in the G7 this year and next. Friends, Canada is on the rise. A strong nation with a promising future, this is Canada's moment. But there is a lesson to be had from the Great Recession. Growth and prosperity cannot be taken for granted. This is a hard lesson for many countries to learn. The Great Recession wreaked havoc on some of the world's strongest economies, many of which are still struggling to surface from the slump. At the same time, new economic powers are emerging who will represent over 90% of global growth over the next 25 years. They will be fierce competitors. So we confront a choice. Act to create jobs, growth, and resilience in a competitive global economy or risk long-term decline. As the Prime Minister said, Canada's choice will be with clarity and urgency to seize and to master our future, to be a model of confidence, growth, and prosperity in the 21st century. We must relentlessly choose prosperity or settle for the new mediocre and consign our country and our children to remorseless decline. Our Conservative government chooses prosperity, and I know Canadians do too. So where does the path to prosperity lie? Through our low-tax plan for jobs and growth. These targeted, affordable measures are found in Canada's economic action plan. Measures to keep taxes low for Canadian families and job creators. Equip Canadians with the skills they need to pursue the jobs they want. Invest in world-class research and innovation reduce red tape, and empower businesses, responsibly develop our natural resource wealth, help businesses succeed in the global marketplace by encouraging trade and foreign investment, and make historic investments in infrastructure, including our new Building Canada Plan, the largest and longest federal infrastructure investment in Canadian history. These measures are built on a rock-solid foundation, our government's commitment to return to balanced budgets in 2015. Which brings me to the fiscal part of my economic and fiscal update. In the worst of the recession, Canada's deficit stood at over $55 billion. Today, it has been reduced by over 90% to just over $5 billion and it is continuing to fall. This year's deficit is expected to be $2.9 billion. Next year, we are projecting a surplus 
of $1.9 billion. We've also set aside $3 billion for contingencies. The surplus will continue to grow in the years that follow, rising to over $13 billion by 2019-2020. The fiscal projection is based on an average of independent economic forecasts by private sector economists. It is a prudent projection adjusted for the recent decline in oil prices. The economists expect a modest pickup in real GDP growth over this year and next, despite a downwardly revised global outlook. That speaks to Canada's economic resilience in the face of global issues and difficulties. Permettez-moi de me répéter, nous respecterons l'engagement que nous avons pris envers les Canadiens de rétablir l'équilibre budgétaire en 2015. So let me say again, we will fulfill our commitment to Canadians to balance the budget in 2015. This is a remarkable achievement, especially when so many other countries are still locked in deep deficits. In fact, Canada's federal debt-to-GDP ratio is half that of the G7 average. It's not easy to return to a balanced budget. Budgets, after all, do not balance themselves. That requires a plan and the discipline to follow it. Canadians should be proud, not just of our impending balanced budgets, but how we got here. We did not accomplish it by raising taxes or slashing transfers to the provinces, like our predecessors. To the contrary, we repeatedly cut taxes and we increased transfer payments by 55% to $65 billion this year. Transfers used for health care, education, and equalization. We remain committed to keep driving taxes down and increasing transfers as the economy grows. What is not growing is the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy in Ottawa. Direct federal program spending has declined for the fourth year in a row. We control government spending, something that few nations have done in decades. And we have done it while maintaining the programs and the services that Canadians rely on. And this has meant we've been able to provide even more support for hardworking Canadian families. And I refer, of course, to our government's latest steps to put more money back in the pockets of Canadian families, increasing the universal child care benefit from $100 to $160 a month for each child under six, expanding the UCCB, giving parents $60 per month for children aged six to 17, introducing the family tax cut, a new tax credit aimed at couples with minor children. It allows a spouse to transfer up to $50,000 of taxable income to a spouse in a lower tax bracket with a maximum tax saving of $2,000. The objective is fairness, to bring their taxes closer to the lower taxes paid by two earners with the same total income. And finally, 
increasing the child care expense deduction dollar amounts by $1,000. So what does all this mean to the over 4 million Canadian families with kids? Well, every one of them will benefit. Take, for example, a two-earner couple with children aged 7 and 13. One spouse earns 95000 the other earns 25000 Our tax relief would put $2,835 back in their pockets next year. Or a single mom earning $30,000 with a 4-year-old and an 8-year-old. She will receive $1,224 in 2015 alone. And a one-earner couple with two minor children, where the working parent earns $60,000, they will receive another $1,605 in their pockets because of our government's program. Indeed, every family with children will benefit from these measures to the tune of $1,140 on average next year. Et voici un point important à souligner. Je suis fier d'affirmer que la grande majorité des avantages seront destinés aux Canadiens à revenus faibles ou moyens. Par exemple, les familles touchant moins de 30 000 par année bénéficieront de 25 des avantages consentis. And here is the important point. I'm proud that a significant majority of the benefits will go to low- and middle-income Canadians. 25% to families earning less than $30,000 a year. This is a policy that anyone who claims to care about the middle class should support. Yet Justin Trudeau has already announced he would repeal some of our family tax cuts and may repeal the others. Tax cuts that benefits help men, moms and dads pay their mortgages, their car loans, and clothe their children. Taking money out of the pockets of middle class and lower income Canadians does not sound like a winning platform to me. But hey, that's what he said. Of course, he said a number of things. We are providing families this financial relief for a simple reason. Across Canada, Canadians are telling us the same thing. The cost of everything, from groceries to hydro to housing, is going up. Conservatives know that for a more affordable life, Canadians need a more affordable tax burden. And the fact is, Canadians are paying, on average, about 42% of their income in taxes at all levels of government, more than food, clothing, and lodging combined. So there is still too much money in the hands of bureaucracy and not enough money in the pockets of Canadian families. Parents have a lot to pay for. Childcare, sports, clothing, and much, much more. Our Conservative government believes in putting more money into the hands of those who care about their children the most. Mom and Dad, we trust Canadians to save and spend their hard-earned money better than all-knowing bureaucrats or social engineers. Granted, there are some people who do not agree, but that's what elections are about. I've talked today about our families, creating jobs so mom and dad could put food on the table. 
lowering taxes so parents can pay for the things they need, balancing the budget, just like families have to do every day. We simply cannot afford a return to a mindset that assumes governments can tax and spend as they please without economic consequences. We understand these basic truths. No government can tax its way to prosperity, and no government can indefinitely spend more than it earns. We cannot take prosperity for granted. Higher debt means higher taxes and service cuts for our children and our grandchildren. We have a duty to manage our finances responsibly, and that is why we're focused on getting back to balance and staying there. Our government is well on its way to achieving our goal of reducing the federal debt to 25% of GDP by 2021. Indeed, the ratio is expected to fall below its pre-recession level by 2017. The IMF projects that our total government net debt to GDP ratio will remain the lowest of any G7 country. It is simply not fair to saddle our children and grandchildren with our expenses. So we will present a balanced budget plan to Canadians as promised. As you can see, our government is delivering and our Prime Minister is providing the leadership. Now is not the time for risky experiments or a flighty trip back to discarded ideas and failed policies. My friends, Canada has come a long way, but we aren't out of hot water yet. The global economy remains fragile. Our government has a plan to meet these challenges, a plan that is working, and we need to stay the course. We survived the Great Recession. Now we will take the action necessary to secure prosperity for this generation and the next. Let us work together to make the greatest country in the world even better. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Fred Mifflin, and I'm a director of the Canadian Club. Minister, I want to thank you for delivering what many will consider an encouraging economic and fiscal update today. These are clearly challenging times, both economically but particularly geopolitically. As our government continues to focus on being fiscally responsible with Canada's finances, there are many positive signs of a healthy economy in the year ahead. If your update is any indication, 2015 should be a promising one for families, individuals, and businesses alike. Balancing Canada's budget takes tremendous effort. Minister, we're pleased that you are at the helm of that effort. Please accept our best wishes for continued success as Canada's Minister of Finance, and thank you again for joining us at the Canadian Club today.
I'd like to echo uh, Fred's comments and thank uh, Minister Oliver for his message today and thank you for joining us. Once again, I'd also like to express our special thanks to today's sponsors, TD Bank Group and BLG. Thank you for your support. Now, before we adjourn for lunch, I'd like to tell you about some of our upcoming events. On November 26th, we'll be hosting Michael Sabia, President and CEO of the Caste de Pau et Placement de Quebec. And on December 18th, join us as Frédéric Odea, Chairman and CEO of Société Générale, discusses adapting the banking model to the 21st century, followed by a conversation with CIBC's CEO and President, Victor Dodig. For a full listing of the club's upcoming events and to order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. And finally, I'd like to draw your attention to the event survey we have on each of your tables. The Canadian Club is always looking for ways to improve your experience, so please take a minute to help us out by sharing your thoughts and comments, including whether you like our new shortened luncheon format. We very much appreciate the feedback. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. I'd also like to invite you to visit the Canadian Club website to download the webcast and podcast of the Minister's Update. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. To Canada. This concludes our program for today. Thank you for being an attentive audience this afternoon. Media, we thank you for your interest as well. The minister is, in fact, off to the G20, so we wish him the very best. And we are now officially adjourned. Thank you.